1: Six fifty-three.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, boy,
2: boy, oh, boy, oh, boy! Oh. It is. It is eleven o'clock here in Texas. It's noontime on the East Coast, where I usually, usually, I'm ensconced in the constitutionally protected free speech bunker in the woods of Arden, Delaware. Today, I'm, I'm not so. I am in, in the Blaze Studios at the mothership, as it were. And it truly is a beehive here. I haven't been here doing anything in production for quite some time. And they made some changes. They actually cleared out Jeffy's nest. Jeffy had a nest here. And, and Shemad can't see it. A lot of the crew here can't see it. Clint can't see it. But there used to actually be like this weird man cave that Jeffy occupied. And I think it's, I think it's either in the room that Shemad's in right now or the next one over. And I think, I think they actually had to bring in some sort of a historical preservation group to take all of the stuff out and box it up and catalog it and make sure that it was kept for posterity. But that's a, that's a story for another day. We'll get to it. There's breaking news today as we get out. Uh, there is um, a terror attack. He had another terror attack. And this one was in Paris just before, I think, about 10 o'clock this morning. Police in Paris shot a guy who took a hammer to a cop. Now, here's the strange thing. This man reportedly came up to the two police officers and he had a backpack. And he reached into the backpack and pulled out a hammer and started attacking one of the cops. He did hit one of the gendarmes. And the other cop pulled out his gun and shot him. He's not dead, they kept him on the ground on the scene for quite some time. Uh, The the medical crew was trying to uh, keep the guy alive, I guess, so they could question him. But this is a hammer-wielding attacker. I guess there's a good thing here as well as a bad thing here because they've tightened down in Paris and in London. These guys can't get their hands on bombs and hopefully they can't get their hands on guns, but they are going to uh, more simpler methods as prescribed by ISIS as well. Using a hammer, using a knife, using a car, the terror, and it appears to be a lone terrorist in this, in this situation, has now got Paris on lockdown. The cathedral at Notre Dame also had uh, cops going in there and trying to make sure there was nothing going on there. And there are pictures coming out through social media that show people in, in Paris inside the cathedral at Notre Dame with their hands in the air in church, in a cathedral, standing with their hands in the air. And they've got them in the air because the cops have ordered them to have their hands in the air. They're not, they're not holding their hands up to heaven, praying. What are we doing? Seriously, world, what are we doing? And this is a tiny percentage of a massive group of people in our world, a tiny percentage of Muslims who have perverted that faith and are now wreaking havoc on the rest of the world. Look at what's happened. You had London three times in recent memory, two attacks using cars. You had the bomber in, in Manchester. You had Australia and the guy in Australia has been identified as someone they had locked up, someone they had put away and released him on probation or parole or whatever they had done to let him go. And prior to that, that in turn, that locking him up before, prior to locking this jack wagon up, he was a suspect in a major terror plot in Australia. And all of these in common, all of these incidents that inspire hashtags, they're all related to one thing, a perversion of Islam. And the weird part, we were talking about this before the show today, Doc Thompson and I and, and Mike Broomhead, we're talking about the fact that that 90% of the people killed are, are God-fearing Muslims. They're not radicals. 90% of the victims of ISIS and these folks are Muslims. So where is the Muslim faith in standing up and saying, stop it? This is, this is uh, again, another Ramadan killing. This is another Ramadan attack. Well, this one wasn't a killing. It was an attack. But this is another Ramadan attack, and we have bombings going on also in the Middle East. We were we were discussing the, the bombing, I believe it was in uh, Kabul, just a couple of days ago. 300 people killed. We're, we're not talking about it. American media isn't talking about it unless it affects... People, I guess, who we recognize or think sound and look like us. But this is going on now, and it's going on with greater frequency. The Paris attacker today, the guy who took the hammer to a police officer before he was shot, is now reportedly, um, reportedly told cops this is for Syria. He was doing it for Syria. We now know the identity of the three guys in London. And there seems to be strong connections to the Middle East. A lot of people are going to say, "Well, they're 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 British citizens." There is refugee status connected to at least one of them. Uh, they're all dead, so at least we don't have to pay for a trial there. But I I hope they have gotten all of the uh, intelligence value out of the connections they had after going through all of those apartments. I, I have a couple different updates to cover today, but I wanted to get that news out early. That yes, once again, another day in Ramadan, another day where we apparently have some sort of attack. Thank God, this one did not result in any death, and at least they got the guy. They didn't kill him; they shot him. What did they? They, um, I forget the correct police term, but they said they they (laughs) they put him down. They slowed him down. They. They disabled the attack. They blunted the attack. Today has some history to it. And in the third hour of the show today, we're going to speak to our good friend, Emily Zanati. You know her from Heat Street. Uh, Emily is currently working on a book about D-Day, and today is D-Day. Today, if, if you don't understand D-Day, I need to send you back to your fifth or sixth grade history classes and understand what what exactly happened on D-Day, so you can you can grasp it. Emily sent me some notes uh, ahead of our segment, and one of them is is so powerful. We know there were a couple hundred thousand Americans and our allies standing shoulder to shoulder with us as as we launched the greatest offensive ever in World War II, the offensive that changed the momentum, that changed the direction of the war. And in spite spite of the efforts to do our best to minimize casualties, we knew there were going to be casualties. There are 9,387 graves in the American cemetery in Normandy, France. Nine thousand. 387 it's it's not even close to compared to what you see in uh, Arlington National Cemetery but it's it's a stunning stunning scene when you walk there and the picture Emily sent has a note underneath it that says these 9,387 graves in the American Cemetery at Normandy all face west Towards home, pretty amazing, right? Pretty amazing when you think about it. Uh, Eisenhower was um, the the leader of the Supreme Allied Command. Eisenhower was the guy who was given the task as the general of the American military, the guy who had to oversee the entire operation. And just think, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a time where the general, the leader of all of the of all of the allied forces, could send out a tweet to the troops or could send an email. But he could make a statement to all of those people who were preparing to face what is one of the most remarkable military efforts and accomplishments ever. And if you haven't taken a moment, we're going to talk more with Emily about it. You need to listen to Eisenhower's words.
3: the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking.
2: Amazing, right? Could you imagine that speech being given today? Could you imagine the effort that was put forward by those hundreds of thousands and many of them, knowing what they faced, was going to be a, a bloody battle. Many of them, knowing exactly what was coming down the pike. It, it really is a, a remarkable day, and I'm I'm proud that we're going to be able to spend some time on it on the show. I'm I'm pleased that Glenn Beck says yes. History is important enough for us to to stop what we're doing and spend some time discussing it. And that's why we will in the third hour of this show talk more about. D-Day and understanding what D-Day really meant, not just to America, but but to the world. And after we saw a weekend worth of hand-wringing over pulling out of a climate agreement that was really just meant to change the fortunes of nations, not the environment, this was actually something that changed, truly changed the destiny of the entire world. We'll, we'll get into it in the third hour. But I wanted to share that with you, especially as we, as we start the show with, yet again, breaking news about another terror attack, another group of people who want to change and eliminate freedom. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. We'll be right back.
3: You're listening to
2: Pure Opelka
0: on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back. I neglected to tell you the phone lines are open. So if you want to weigh in on today on anything we're talking about, 888-900-3393, 888 We will talk about some of the, I think, fake outrage that's going on in the media right now. Uh, They're mad at the president because nothing's happening that they can really report on. The biggest story that broke yesterday, in my opinion, was the story of the leaker. The leaker. And even the story of the leaker has a comic twist to it. What was the name of the 25-year-old snowflake with security clearance? Reality winner. And I'm sure they called her real her parents called her real. I wonder if these were like hippie parents 25 years ago would have been 1992. These parents would have given birth to reality winner who calls their kid reality. What are you dooming the kid? And now the kid's name is real winner. So you're a real winner, aren't you? And now you had classified material that you gave away. I just have to wonder, what the hell are you thinking? So this morning, one of our, our buddies here who has, who has some talk show credibility said to me, how does a 25-year-old get security clearance to be able to get top-secret information? This was NSA data about Russia's attempts to get inside our election. And again, nothing, nothing, nothing has been shown to have been accomplished they did not change a single vote at the ballot box. But, but here's, here's the weird thing about it, as my friend was saying, how does a 25-year-old get top-secret security clearance? You can understand it if somebody joined the military at 18 or graduated college after going through an ROTC program or was on some sort of uh, academy, uh, Air Force Academy, Naval Academy and then started into the intelligence work. I believe Buck Sexton briefed the president of the United States when he was 26 years old. And that's a big security clearance. I remember Buck saying that uh, W. walked into the Oval Office and he was sitting there waiting on him. He was sitting on the couch, and the president turned to one of his aides and went kind of like, who's the kid? Who's the kid over here? What's he doing here? I thought I was supposed to get a, my PDB, my presidential daily briefing. And Buck was like, yes, sir, I'm, I'm it. And Bush thought they were jerking his chain at first. So, yeah, you can, you can be a young star in the intelligence community. I don't know about reality winner. But the fact that she was arrested on Saturday and it, the news kind of broke late yesterday it's amazing to me that, that this was kept quiet for so long. You would have think this would have dominated. I still don't understand why this story is not huge news. Because leaks out of the White House, top secret information leaks, especially that relate to the Russian investigation and the alleged collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians, why isn't this the most dominating item uh, aside from the terror attacks? on the mainstream media. I'll tell you why. Because they didn't find anything that's damning them. They found nothing. Nothing. And this just goes along the lines and completely in sync with what we've been hearing all along. You heard you heard uh, Auntie Max saying that there's no, no real smoking gun. We've seen smoke but no fire. And yesterday, Senator Warner, a Democrat, was also being asked about the investigation. He said this.
4: One of the big questions, of course, is, is there any evidence of collusion that you have seen yet? Is there?
3: Listen, there is a lot of smoke. We have no smoking gun at this point, but there is a lot of smoke. And again, one of the questions that we will have, not only for Director Comey on Thursday, but on Wednesday for Director of National Intelligence Coates and NSA, uh, National uh, NSA Director Admiral Rogers. I'm going to want to ask them because there have been reports that the president also talked to both of them in terms of asking them to downplay the Russian investigation. That would be very concerning to me.
2: Very concerning. Very concerning. Something you want to ask. But after months now, we're going on six months of this. They don't have a smoking gun. The NSA memo was leaked. There was no smoking gun. As a matter of fact, it probably proved more that Russia tried but failed. That couldn't actually change the votes once they were in the machines. It's amazing, right? Absolutely amazing. There's more to talk about today. There's more fake news. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, there's some news from Anti Max. And and if you were here yesterday and you heard our talk about the N-word, I have a follow-up from Don Lemon of CNN. I'll get to that after the break. Come on back.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opoka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back. A lot going on today. Third hour, we're going to talk more about D-Day with Emily Zanati from Heat Street. She's working on a book, actually, on D-Day. So why not? Why not get some perspective from someone who's doing some digging on the subject? There is a quote from Eisenhower, which I think bears repeating. This was right after the bombers had taken off because they took off just, just before midnight. They had to fly a considerable distance to get there. And he was talking about whatever would happen if the landings failed. And Eisenhower's words, I'm quoting him directly, if any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. Close quote. You want to talk about getting a chill. When was the last time we had a leader take that kind of responsibility? And it was, I think, under nine years later, he was the president. But yeah, that's uh, just a little bit of a sidebar. As we look back, we try to look forward. We try to look back. We try to learn from what's going on. Yesterday on this very show, we had a discussion about the N-word. And as a free speech guy, I hate having to say the N word, but I also am gracious enough to not want to just throw the word out there if it offends people. And it does offend people. And in our discussion yesterday, I was, I was very impressed with, and so were others, with Shimant's take on it. Shimant pushes the buttons here and, and uh, makes me sound better. And understanding the black experience as as it comes to that word is, I think, very important. And so when I heard Don Lemon getting ready to talk about it last night, my ears pricked up. And it, it made me put a vital question on Twitter. And I guess a lot of you are afraid to even weigh in on this. Bill Maher actually sparked the vital question. Should anyone be allowed to use the N-word? Should anyone? As a free speech guy, I, I think yes, but you have to be mindful of the consequences. Sometimes if you say something in a certain place, you'll get a punch in the face. Sometimes you'll get a high five. And as we learned yesterday, context matters. If you're joking with your buddies and you're all calling yourselves that name, maybe it's acceptable. Sherrod Small, my friend, a comic, will use it all the time. I can't have a 30-second conversation with Sherrod without hearing that word three times. You won't hear it from me. It's very different. But last night, I'm listening to, as I'm driving, last night I was listening to CNN, and I heard Don Lemon approach the subject. And here's the interesting thing. I think Don Lemon takes every position possible on the use of the N-word. In less than two minutes. He takes every possible position on it. He's for it. He's against it. He's around it. He's on top of it. He's underneath it. He wants to tear it up. He wants to put it on a pedestal. All of this. Listen to Don Lemon. This is from last night on his own little program.
4: My stance on the word is that it should be used officially I think journalists should be able to use it because people are not saying it's it, it, it. if you come on TV and you say Bill Maher said uh house n-word, it doesn't have the impact if, if if someone in a court case says you know writes in a memo or in a in a you know dur- during a, a court hearing that someone said the n-word it's not what they said it was a whole reason I held up the n-word on this program once to show the impact of the word And if you don't understand the impact of that word then you shouldn't be using it and if you
2: okay okay so right now i'm with them i'm like if, if you re- it's like using a word that you don't understand the definition of it or a term you really shouldn't use something be, uh, that you don't understand because you're likely to look foolish or say the wrong thing and now Don Lemon starts to pivot, and I don't know why he did it. Nobody interjected. He just decided to change direction.
4: Understand the impact of the word, then you, you probably should not be using it. So I don't really like it in music. I know it's different in art. I'm not the word police. That's a very tricky subject. But I don't think that you sh- people should just be willy nilly using that word. And I think that sometimes it gives license people license to use it. I don't think white people should be using it. Whoa! 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 So now you're not allowed to use
2: it if you're of a certain skin color. Before it was if you were in an official capacity. And then it was if you don't understand the meaning of it, you shouldn't be allowed to use it. And notice all of these conditions Don Lemon is putting on the N-word as he is saying, I'm not the word police. Well, he might be the N-word police if you listen to him. He continues
4: like it when anybody uses it but my question is is wh- what sort of consensus are we going to come to that word why do we have so many different standards for so many different people shouldn't we just say should we pretty much one standard don't use it unless you officially have to and then we won't have to go through this rigmarole every single
2: what does that mean don't use it unless you officially have to so don't use it unless you have to use it are you ca- don lemon was as i said He was left of it. He was right of it. He was under it. He was over it. He was inside of it. Then he was outside of it. But he wasn't done there. He came back to it.
4: Here's the thing. We say that we're taking back that word. Obviously, it causes so much pain that that hasn't worked yet. My stance is that we shouldn't give. We've given that word away.
2: We've taken the word back. Have we taken the word back? And now we never should have given it away? What? I, I should let him keep going.
4: And, and the cost was too high for that word. Don't give it away. Don't think that you're taking back the word by overusing it or bastardizing it. It's not working. Let's just not use the word. Thank you all. Good night.
2: So there it is. The Don Lemon final word. Let's not use the word. And I go back to Nancy Pelosi. Remember when someone asked her her favorite word and she said, My favorite word is, uh, um, my favorite word is the word. I wanted to start screaming the surfing bird song Papa o mau, mau. But Don Lemon, he's on every side of this. I think this is uh, one of these issues that, unless you understand the context, unless you understand the pain, unless you understand the true meaning of the word, then you should use a different word. I'm not telling you not to, but it's just like when we write pieces for the blaze. For a long time, you would see people use the word excoriate when somebody took somebody apart, and it's a great word. But if you knew what the word meant, you should use it. But also, if you're using it too much, it doesn't mean what it it meant when you used it with with the, uh, the first time, the impact it had. I still think Lenny Bruce had it right. If we could find a way to properly remove the power of that word, then it wouldn't matter who says it. And I don't want anybody to be censoring any language. The only thing I really want to make clear is that if and when you choose to use a word you know is offensive, then and only then, if you understand the consequences, should you go ahead and do so. So pick your words carefully. You have to decide. I don't think anyone else can decide for you. That's why that very first, that very first amendment allows you that freedom. You disagree with me? I'd love to hear from you. Triple eight nine hundred-thirty-three ninety-three, eight eight eight-nine zero zero three three nine three. Or go to the poll that I posted on my Twitter account, at Stuntbring. Should anyone be allowed to use the N-word? I answered yes, First Amendment. If you're no different than me, then you don't have different words that you can use that I can't. 77% of you say yes. 17% say no. 7% say they can't decide, which is normal. And 0%, I'm happy to see this, 0% say some people can use it. I don't agree. We'll get into some of the other news. I just wanted to share that with you because I thought it was kind of strange that we talked about it at length yesterday. And uh, Don Lemon then came out of nowhere and talked about it at length on his show. Maybe he's a listener. Are you out there, Don? We offered you the opportunity to go shooting with us. He turned us down. We're not giving up. Michael Opelka and Pure Opelka. We'll be right back.
0: Pure Opelka with Michael Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back. Don't forget, if you are someone who is wasting time not getting Relief Factor, I'm going to be in your ear until you do so. I started Relief Factor over 13 weeks ago. It changed me. I, I was actually running around the building today with Doc Thompson. He went out for a long run, but I was actually running. And it's something I hadn't done for a long time because my knees were falling apart. I was actually looking at knee replacement surgery because my knees were killing me. Started taking Relief Factor, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Eight days later, I, I stopped taking painkillers. No over-the-counter, no prescription, nothing into my 12th week of this. Why are you waiting? Get the three-week quick start pack. It's nineteen ninety five. Call them. Eight, eight, I'm sorry, it's 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. It's ReliefFactor, ReliefFactor.com. All natural, anti-inflammatory. It has changed my life. Maybe you're one of the thousands out there who had changed your life too. Don't wait. Three-week quick start pack, 1995, ReliefFactor.com. Uh, before we wrap up this hour... I stumbled into something today that I think deserves us to say no, and I support. I support inventors. I support people who are startup people. I support guys who are trying to create something and use their mind to come up with something that'll make the world better. But I think this one's this one's uh, got to be uh, put on the pause list. It's something called the woogie. A purposeful playtime robot, and it's on one of the Indiegogo pages, and I stumbled into it, and I'm just going to let you enjoy a little bit of the woogie pitch tape as they try and sell us on what I'm thinking is a parental replacement. It's a little bitty, cute little robot. Think of Alexa for for your preschooler. Wake up, alien. Woogie, meet the world. World, meet Woogie. The learning assistant every kid will love. Woogie is an AI voice-activated robot that sits in the child's room to act as their personalized learning companion. Wait a minute. Woogie is the voice-activated AI robot that sits in the child's room to act as their personal learning companion. So you talk to Woogie and Woogie talks to you. When I was a kid, we used to call that mom or dad or one of my brothers or sisters. But wait, there's more. He has answers for everything from... Why did the dinosaurs disappear?
3: Scientists say it was because of an asteroid colliding with the Earth 65 million years ago.
2: But- so, so you got Woogie, who's answering questions. And I remember as a small child running into the kitchen in our apartment on the south side of Chicago. Very cramped space when you had four or five kids and two adults and grandparents. I remember asking my mom, driving her crazy, going, Mom, why do we call an orange an orange? Why is it called an orange? I know it's the color orange, but does that, did did it come up with that name first? But I remember my mom patiently explaining it to me, not like Woogie telling me the answer to where did dinosaurs come from.
3: ...colliding with the Earth 65 million years ago. But maybe they are just very good at hiding. Two. Why do I need to eat broccoli? Broccoli helps your body heal. To be healthy and full of beans, you actually have to be full of broccoli.
2: Using artificial intelligence, Woogie proactively delivers knowledge in a witty and playful way. No. Wookie is replacing mom and dad. We don't need to be giving the kids anything else that's taking them out of human contact. We don't need to be substituting parents with AI. I have to tell you, Woogie people... I'm totally against this, and I support a lot of crowdfunding efforts. Am I wrong? If you want to see this, I will tweet out a link to the Woogie YouTube pitch because it's, it's, we're only 50 seconds into it. It's almost three minutes of Woogieisms and, and turning curiosity into fun learning. No, we're turning kids away from people and into little, little devices that will ultimately become the tools of these robots. Woogie understands your questions and answers them in a witty and playful way. No. Let me know if I'm wrong on Woogie, and if any of you have bought into the the Woogie crowdfunding. Currently, uh, it's it's about forty percent of its goal. That means if it doesn't hit the goal, it'll it won't ever be built. We got to stop this and stop it now. I want a Woogie-free world. We'll be right back.
0: Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network.